this is an honor shame culture. And so we were tipped off to this, this whole idea that any kind of misfortune, a disease, a disability, financial ruin, it's because somebody somewhere along the way sinned. They're looking for somebody to blame. They're looking for right and wrong. They're looking for a simple answer. And, you know, if you're a good person, God's going to bless you. But if you're a bad person, something bad's going to happen to you. And so when we think about this idea of complexity bias, we just can go right into that. We can go right into how he, how he, Jesus is looking to restore God's kingdom. And he's using the wisdom behind the law, behind the prophets and calling people deeper into that to do that. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Good day. I'm Amy Vogel. I'm the Director of Spiritual Growth for Upper Room Houston, and welcome to our experience this week. The goal of our class, as always, to be a brave and collective space to explore the dynamics and application of our faith in Jesus through the lenses. We have very particular lenses of relationship, empathy, action, and love. And so in our current series overview, we are learning how to apply Jesus to hard conversations. And this series is really about growing and what it means to pay attention to ourselves and how that affects how we apply our faith in Christ to these delicate conversations, these delicate situations, whether you're talking with a family member, you're talking with a friend or a coworker or anybody and, and things go sideways just about on any topic nowadays. So we're going to learn how to handle that by learning what's happening inside of us so we can best respond. So our goal is for you to leave with a greater understanding of your faith, but also with practical tools that allow you to see Jesus, see Jesus for who he is and what he does and fill the, fill the blank of that in your life. Much more about what would Jesus do really diving into who Jesus was in his context and what we can take from that and what that means for us for going forward, because our methodology is really just that, to look at the examples in Jesus's life, how he interacted in these conversations, especially ones that were tense, and um, to see the bigger picture of what's going on behind those conversations. So we know, we know more about ourselves. One of my favorite scriptures in John four, the woman at the well says that I met a man who told me all about myself. And while that's not our scripture verse for today, every time I engage with Jesus's life, I learn about myself. And so that's what we're here to do because frankly, our, our world desperately needs people to lead in this, uh, as far as in order to not just have more self-awareness and self-knowledge, but to be the source that allows us to in, engage in these hard conversations so there's healing. So there's, there's a witness for the love of Christ, but also for the truth of Christ and how those go together. So we really can make an impact on our culture and the next generations. And I've got several of the next generations in my own house, so I'm doubling down on this. So today we're going to continue with 
what is always an easy conversation with MindShift LLC owner and my story course creator, Tawana Antwine. She is my resident expert. She's also, I hope, my friend and will remain so as we go through this. Um, but she's my partner in this series as we discuss particularly bias. Um, and, you know, my subtitle, as I was doing this, my subtitle for this, this class, this episode is The Potential for Open Eyes. And I wrote that several months ago when I was planning out this series. And as I was prepping for tonight, today, it just felt like somebody grabbed my shirt collar. It just more than anything that we've got this potential to have our eyes opened. But first and foremost, Tawana, welcome back. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I, I am too. It is, it is always fun when we actually have the chance to breathe and talk and exit out of our, our extremely busy lives. And the feedback I'm getting from last week in our first conversation is, is so good. I've had multiple people tell me that uh, they're not only really excited about what we're doing, but just the content and how we're presenting this idea of looking at scripture through the lens of bias and how they've, they've never explored it that way. So, you know, my first question is, you're in, you, well, I feel like your biggest ministry context is your DEI work, your diversity, um, equity, and inclusion work in corporate America. I feel like that's really a ministry. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> And, and for me, it's your biggest impact, too. Uh, but we've talked so much about how the church is, is hurting for a fresh revelation of the importance of diversity and equity and inclusion. And when I look at the Bible, I see DEI all over. And so uh, what have you been thinking about over the last week in terms of our last conversation or just in approaching tackling bias in general? Yeah, so I agree that having conversations about bias within churches and in ministry is really important. What I've been thinking about over the last week is this reputation that the church has earned, right? So if you look at the statistics and folks that are at the age to be able to choose for themselves whether they will be in a church setting or not, fewer folks are choosing to be in that setting. And that's because the church has earned a reputation for excluding people, right? So yeah. I think it's definitely an important conversation for us to get back to extending Jesus's love to everyone and folks not feeling like Jesus doesn't love me because X or the church doesn't love me because X or some combination of those two things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. I like that. I like that, that, that reputation for better, for worse. Right. right. I, think, uh, I think it's, it's this kind of space that gives me some hope <laughs> that we can, we can change that reputation a little bit. Uh, but I wanted to ask you too, what, what, what does it mean? What, what do you see in this idea of the potential for open eyes? What, what could that mean for us, for the church, and for the wider world? I 
So when, when we talk about opening our eyes, it reminds me of the scripture that talks about that we only see in part. And when we see God face to face, then we'll, we'll know in full. And I really think about what we see in terms of I see in part what I see and you see in part what you see. And the more we're willing to have that conversation to understand how did you get there? So for me, it's kind of like, I don't know if you know the video game where you drop the ball and it goes over all of these pegs and then it ends up in a spot. And we kind of all have a path that we took to get where we are. And we kind of have to look over to be able to, to speak to each other and see. And then the more that we help each other see, the more we see overall. Yeah, it's almost like that, that game gets bigger, but we all realize that we're all in the same spot. We've all right. gone on those ping pong different paths, but we all end up, end up, end up at the bottom. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if, if we really want to get Jesus-y about this, we all end up at the bottom, right? Yes. <laughs> In order to go back to the top. So, well, this has been a, a wonderful trip that we've been on and I'm looking forward to this, this next leg with you. So for today, we've got another three forms of bias that we're going to be exploring. And the full list of the, I think we've got, we've got up to now 15 forms of bias. And they're in, they're in the show notes and the follow-up email. Um, and you can Google them and research them up. And I would recommend going to Brian McLaren's website. He has an ebook that I'm actually going to be referencing quite a bit. It's called, um, Why Don't They Get It? And you can download it, buy it from his website and download it. And it goes into great detail about each one of these forms of bias. And um, so just as a quick review for a level set, when we, when we say the word bias, we mean that bias is the internal obstacles of seeing and understanding. There are those things that when you take information in, rise up in you and, and almost change the way that information is being received. I would liken it very much to the lenses that you wear. If you wear glasses or contacts, it's, it's the lenses in which you see the world. And so as Brian McLaren says, he said, you might say we're blind to what blinds us. Bias makes us resist and reject messages we should accept and accept messages we should resist and reject. So for our purposes, the, the way that I like to think of it, and I'm a swimmer, so this works for me, is that um, biases are get in the way because so much of the time they're the water we're swimming in. We just don't see them. And that's going to be one of the biases that we talk about tonight, consciousness bias. You, you just, you don't know what you don't know. And so you have to be exposed to it in order to even get an idea uh, to be able to see the water you're swimming in. And the tricky thing about biases is that they lock us into binary thinking, that it's either an and, I mean, it's either an either or an or, it's a, a yes or a no, it's a right or a wrong. There's, you know, at the very basics of it, it's black and white and there's no shades of gray. And so when we become aware of these biases, it helps us to see not just the gray areas, but the many facets of color that are actually out there. And so Tawana and I are, are gonna talk through three of the biases and um, those are complexity bias, confidence bias, and as I said, consciousness bias. 
So let's start off, Tawana, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand it to you. What's, what's your take on these three biases? Um, what, you know, what, what do you want our folks to take away about these three biases in particular when they're engaging in relationships? Um, so for me, for complexity, I think the analogy that I gave earlier is probably what I want us to take away in terms of just considering that we all got here somehow. We have experiences that got us there. And um, I hope overall, even, you know, after today, after all of these conversations, that we encourage people to just have those conversations and to ask questions and to um, be more open-minded about um, the ways in which we engage people and what we consider being the hands and feet of Jesus, because it doesn't always look the way that we would expect it to. Yeah, yeah. And, and on your day-to-day -day living, which of the three do you think you feel like you encounter the most? I think for me, it's complexity bias. But I was going to say, I was going to say the same thing. So yeah. I've been actually uh, just finished listening to the ebook for, so you want to talk about race hmm. and I get the question a lot or see the comment a lot. Um, some version of how is this racist hmm. or what will make you say this is racist or what makes you think I'm racist? You know, some version of how is this about race? And um, when you think about the experiences that we specifically people of color have and how race is so intricately intertwined in our experience, whether it's in church or not, mm -hmm. um, when we say something is racist or race related, it's, it also is related to a complicated experience that we've had that you just wouldn't know it if you weren't a person of color. And so for me, I think understanding that complexity is very important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something you've had personal experience with, too, I think, in church. But yes. I'll, I'll <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that's also part of your My Story course, so I'm not going to give it away, but <laughs> go check it out. Go check it out. Wait, give, give us the website for, for your story course. So my, the My Story courses, you can find them at mindshiftllc slash thinkific.com. So it's on the Thinkific platform. Okay. I'll put that in the, uh, in the email in the show notes so everybody has that. But um, so let's, let's get down to the definition. So complexity bias simply is, you know, our brains are wired in such a way that we prefer simplicity. And we will even prefer a simple lie or what I would say, even an old familiar idea to a complex truth, like Tawana was mentioning, um, or even a new or unknown idea. It's, it's this idea that if our brains are lazy, they're very, very, very fast at being lazy. And they're so fast that they often reject a complex new idea before we've even realized, even consciously had to think about it. Our brains are just wired that way. So when you engage in this complexity bias, and there's a lot of opportunity to do that on numerous issues, but you know, here we, 
we tend to focus on race, racial healing. I like that word better than racial reconciliation and relationships between people. Um, but, you know, complexity bias, if you, if you don't stop and listen, it will trip you up almost every time. Um, and so then we've got confidence bias. And this is, this is really interesting because you have probably seen this play out in the last six or seven years, or if you've been a student of politics, it happens almost every single election cycle, but it's just really been in our face lately where we prefer a bold lie to a quieter truth. And it's, it, you know, in the misinformation around the pandemic and masks, COVID vaccine, you know, it's really, really easy for people to grab onto this idea that if somebody speaks it in an upfront, in your face, like they know what you're, they're talking about kind of way, your brain is just more likely to believe them versus someone who pauses and thinks and measures their words and the pace of their language. So um, it's interesting, I didn't know this, but in prepping for this, the word, you know, the phrase we use for people who are really experts at using this bias for their own advantage, they're called confidence artists. We would know it as the short form con artists. So I never knew what the con stood for. It stands for confidence artists because they're playing on this idea of your confidence in them to know what they're talking about because they seem like they do. So, um, you know, it's the person who just, they're usually really good salespeople too. <laughs> and having a background in sales, I could point you to about a hundred different examples of that in my corporate life. Um, but let's go to this third one, consciousness bias, which is simply, you know, we are just, we don't know what we don't know. Um, and depending on your age, your stage, or whether that's chronological age or emotional age, and just your overall level of experience on the topic, you know, if you're not an expert, you, you may not even be that truly ignorant on a topic, you, but you might think that you actually know what you're talking about when sometimes you don't. And, you know, I've experienced this a lot in the church and in my own faith formation. Um, for example, <laughs> I was thinking about this because I just took a course on Ephesians. And so that was like a complete immersion into the Apostle Paul and his way of thinking. And I used to think the Apostle Paul was a total, well, I'll just say jerk. Uh, you know, being a woman, I just, uh, just did not get him. And I just, I thought that he really didn't like women at all, but from lots of years of Bible study, lots of years of reading commentaries, of learning to listen to people who actually knew something about the New Testament world and about the Apostle Paul, I have started to see the, the depth and the breadth and the, the just the beauty in which he's trying to speak into the churches through his letters, the churches in the New Testament. And so it's given me a whole lot of, of respect, but back when I used to really hate the guy, I didn't really know anything about him. And now that I do, I really, really appreciate what he has contributed um, to, to really my own faith and the faith of the church in this, this new world. So Tawana, you have anything else you want to add on any one of those three? Yeah. So the connection for me between these three and even comfort bias, which we talked about last week, is yeah. our willingness to train our brain and train our emotions and train ourselves to 
um, to think differently, right? So it's really comfortable to, to feel like something simple because it matches with what I believe it, you know, makes sense to me. It matches with how I was brought up, you know, whatever the story is that we tell ourselves. And so it's easy just to accept that and move forward, especially if somebody's speaking that confidently. Mm. But what I found, um, especially in being in some more contemplative spiritual practices and even personally starting to do things like meditation and more reflection and being willing to just pause in the moment and not necessarily even react, but ask myself a question or even sometimes ask God a question, like what are you doing in this moment and give him time to answer before I speak. So in that way, we can just start to train our brains to not necessarily go just straight from point A to point B. And we can say, well, what is the you know, what's the question? What's the learning? What's the meaning? What is, you know, what do I need to, um, what question may I ask to connect with the, with this other person if it's a dialogue? And then we can train ourselves then to, to start seeing the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. The first, the first time I really encountered that idea of the, the pause, well, well, first <laughs> it's in parenting. <laughs> and in mar marriage counseling, like <laughs> unless you want to go toe to toe, knock down, drag out, you really need to work in that pause. But where I really saw it start to have impact within the church is um, I think five or six years ago, we started, uh, we went through a sermon series where um, uh, Pastor Christian, our pastor at UR Heights was preaching through emotionally healthy spirituality. And this whole idea of really self-awareness from a Christian perspective. And I think um, no doubt that that was very heavily influenced by the contemplative movement that's been around. I mean, it's probably the most ancient form of our, um, of our uh, faith. And, you know, if you go and you research anything about how Jews and, and in particular rabbis and how they structure the prayers and do their prayers throughout the day, it's extremely contemplative. It, it requires stopping whatever you're doing at this particular time of day. And then for the Sabbath, one day a week and just turning your attention to God. So means a lot of stuff's going to come up that you're going to be able to filter through, but you got to give yourself space to let that stuff bubble up to the surface. So um, it's hard work though. Yes. <laughs> it's really hard work. It's why it's so much easier to stay comfortable and just believe what we were believing beforehand oh man golly I, I would say hallelujah but ooh, <laughs> that is a hard hard lesson to learn uh well let's go to the scripture that um we're going to talk about today um and because the subtitle i chose was potential for open eyes i selected a passage where jesus literally opened the eyes of a blind man and it set the whole place not just a buzz but on fire. And um, as we'll see, when we use this lens of looking for bias, as we go into the scriptural interpretation, we will see plenty of them. In fact, if you've got the list in front of you, you can probably go through and check off, if you know anything about these biases, go through and check them off as we read through this, uh, this passage. But we're going to 
target in on these, these three of complexity, confidence, and consciousness bias. And in the words of Brian McLaren, I feel like he's kind of our guru for bias work because uh, he really is leading the way. In fact, I'll include the link to his podcast. It's got two seasons. It's called Learning to See, where he does a deep dive on all of these. But he says, Jesus, unlike me through most of my life, showed that he had an idea of what he was up against. He obviously understood that all humans have a set of biases that make it hard for us to see the truth that could set us free. So I'm going to walk us through. It's a very famous scene from the book of John. It's John 9. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 25. And then to close it out, we're going to read a couple more a couple more verses at the end. But I really love Eugene Peterson's treatment of this passage. So I'm going to be using his translation from the message. So here we go. So walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I'm in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. He said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam. And Siloam means scent. The man went and washed and saw. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, why, isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it's him all right, but others objected. It's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. He said, it's me, the very one. And they said, how did you get your eyes opened? The man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said. And when I washed, I saw. So where is he? I don't know. The man marched, they marched the man to the Pharisees. This day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. The Pharisees grilled him again on how he had come to see. And he said, he put a clay paste on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others counted, how can a bad man do miraculous God revealing things like this? And there was a split in their ranks. They came back at the blind man. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, he, he's a prophet. The Jews didn't believe it, didn't believe the man was blind to begin with. So they called the parents of the man now bright eyed with sight. And they asked them, is this your son? The one you say was born blind. So how is it that he now sees? His parents said, we know he is our son and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see, having a clue about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man. He can speak for himself. His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the meeting place. That's why his parents said, ask him. He's a grown man. They called the man back a second time, the man who had been born blind and told him, give credit to God. We know this man is an imposter. He replied, I know nothing about that one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind. Now I see. 
So a little long, little long on the verse, but I think it's important for all the context. And the first thing we got to know, the background story is this was the Sabbath. And for the Pharisees, for the Jewish ruling elite, they had so restricted what people could do on the Sabbath that pretty much anything was seen as work and healing was seen as work. This is not only the Sabbath, this is the Sabbath in Jerusalem. And Jesus had just escaped by the skin of his teeth being stoned to death in the previous chapter. If you go back and read John 8, he was saying some pretty, pretty inflammatory things there. And they, they literally picked up the stones to throw at him. And he just kept right on walking. And what's really interesting is clearly this, this blind man was well known. And so what struck me as I was doing some research and this could be a whole series of sermons, but the idea of he's sitting on the ground, he's blind, he's begging. And what Jesus does was spit on the ground next to him. How many times had this man been returned to his lowest place, his caste, his place in society, because people walked past him and spit, spit right by him. But yet here's Jesus spitting on the ground, picking it up and using that, that curse that, that would have been associated with this man and using it as his healing. I could go on and on about that, but we're not talking about that today. <laughs> Maybe we will, we'll go deep into that another time. But the thing about this man is, you know, he's the lowest rung of, if he, he's probably not even on the ladder because this is a, this is an honor shame culture. And so we were tipped off to this, this whole idea that any kind of misfortune a disease, a disability, financial ruin. It's because somebody somewhere along the way sinned. And so the fact that they ask who sinned is they're looking for somebody to blame. They're looking for right and wrong. They're looking for a simple answer. And, you know, if you're a good person, God's going to bless you. But if you're a bad person, something bad's going to happen to you. And Jesus is directly confronting this binary idea. And this is such a dramatic healing and I really think Jesus meant for it to be a spectacle. I mean, he knew what day it was. He knew where he was. He had a point. And, you know, we see him do this kind of thing throughout John, where he's confronting not just the people, not just his disciples, but the religious elite, the systems behind the oppression of the people and challenging them and how they've instituted their worldview and oppressed other people with their worldview. And so when we think about this idea of complexity bias, we just can go right into that. We can go right into how he, how he, Jesus is looking to restore God's kingdom. And he's using the wisdom behind the law, behind the prophets and calling people deeper into that to do that. But it's the literal way the theology had been applied in, in his day-to-day -day context by the religious leaders that was off track. So he's always using these simple examples and these illustrations. He's using dirt and spit to heal a man born blind. So this is a, this is a congenital, congenital, all right, help me say it, congenital defect. 
he's born with it. There's something in his genetic code that made things go awry. But yet Jesus yields the very elements of the earth, his, the very own spit from his mouth to heal this man. And so he's using these simple examples to draw people into the, to the greater purpose and the greater meaning. I mean, he even says it, you're asking the wrong question. And Tawana, I'm going to stop right here and let you jump in because I think that's the heart of bias, that we have to look at the questions we're asking in our own minds and realize they're probably the wrong ones. Yeah, I think that's um, one of the things that I'm still learning. Um, The main thing that stuck out for me, um, even when I'm talking about not necessarily even asking people questions, but asking God questions, Mm. right, is um, in times in my life when I say, you know, God, I don't know what to do from here. I don't know how to do what it is you want me to do. Like, give me some tools. And he shows up with some spit and clay. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with this? But, um, <laughs> and and for me, he actually has shown up as layoffs. So I've gotten laid off quite a number of times. And the last one is when I created my business. So the point is really to be in tune with where those things show up, where you might not have expected it. And even um, in the church, where do those things show up? Where, where are we not asking the questions or where are we not looking? Where is it maybe a blind man that's been on the street begging shows up as um, a messenger for what something God is trying to do in the church? Mm-hmm. And we don't see him because we, we're not trained to ask the question, right? Where is God working? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, or even for me, siloing him into a certain mission or ministry and not inviting him, whoever him happens to be, into the the greater body of the church. I'm I'm really, really into, and of course, it's because I've spent a lot of time studying Paul recently, that, uh, you know, that the body is made up of so many different parts. And here is Jesus healing a man's eyes so he can help other people open their eyes. And yet there is just this staunch refusal to see something so simple. And they're even asking the question, you know, they're debating among themselves. You know, this, this guy can't be from God. He's, he's healing on the Sabbath. That clearly goes against all policies and procedures. And yet, you know, it says there's a split in his, in the ranks of the Pharisees. And last week we talked about his conversation, his midnight conversation with Nicodemus, who was among the Jewish ruling elite. And, you know, Jesus spent a lot of time challenging him and challenging his worldview. And so we just see him doing it over and over and over again. But, um, you know, what sticks out for me is like, Jesus is pretty absent in the biggest part of the story. Like he's letting people hash it out among themselves. And so, you know, I think that that for me puts him as like the anti-con artist, right? So if we're talking about confidence bias, he's not in there trying to convince everybody who he is. He's not kicking the doors. He's not kicking ass and taking names. You know, he's, he, he, he's, he left the room. He left the building. He's like, (laughs) 
you know, rubs it on his eyes and takes off. And so, you know, I just, I love, I love the example, but sometimes you don't even have to be in the room when the bias is being challenged. You have to just be there and do what you need to do and then go about your business. So I found this, this is also from the Brian McLaren ebook. And he says, specifically about Jesus when it comes to confidence bias is Jesus was bold yet invited people to question, test, and evaluate. Jesus was confident, but he didn't have a messianic complex. The crowds were impressed that Jesus spoke with authority, not like their conventional teachers. His boldness was attractive, but he didn't believe like the typical arrogant authority figure telling people to shut up and listen. Instead, he welcomes questions and also asks lots of questions initiating empowering dialogue and repeatedly inviting listeners to test or challenge what he said. He frequently warned people about false prophets and exposed the fraud and corruption of both religious and political authority figures, teaching the crowds to be critical of con artists, including those in the seats of power. In all these ways, he not only invited people to think for themselves, he stimulated them to think again, which is what repent means. And he designed parables and thought experiments that helped people think again, both critically and creatively. Equally important, Jesus modeled a humility and vulnerability along with bold confidence. Yes, he was confident, but he was the very opposite of a con artist. You, may, you might say he was a humility artist, a vulnerability artist, an anti-con artist. Rather than making people codependent on his confidence, he empowered them with their own. And I think we can see that in this passage as well, that the man who was healed, you know, his, we saw his parents, they were afraid. <laughs> they, they didn't want to be put out of the meeting. They didn't want to be kicked out of this, the, the temple system. But yet here, this guy is like, all I know is, <laughs> I know one thing, one thing I was blind and now I see. Right. So talk, talk us through a little bit about the consciousness bias as we kind of, as we come to a close on this, that these waters that the people are swimming in, um, you know, it just seems like part of Jesus's mission was a constant frontal assault on consciousness bias. So tell me your reflections on that. I agree with that. And I also feel like personally, that he's um, challenged my own way of thinking and my um, my walk with him and my um, attempts to grow spiritually, right? Going back to, you know, I, I ask for tools and he gives me something that I have, you know, no concept of, you know, this is definitely not what I expected when I asked for this. And I think um, from the church's perspective, it's also really important for us to think about where those um, practices and thought patterns and beliefs and rituals that we have keep us from seeing the miracle as well. Mm -hmm. So where is it that we haven't um, asked the question or we haven't looked Mm -hmm. where God has shown up in the church Mm -hmm. and we've missed him because we were so busy thinking about, well, the ritual says this, and you're not supposed to do this, and, um, and missed where he's working. Yeah. And so for me, 
um, consciousness then uh, goes back to our being willing to, to let him do the work, which is always complicated and always uncomfortable. <laughs> And sometimes it means, like we talked about last week, being willing to sit in the not knowing mm-hmm. yeah. and um, wait for him to give us an answer. If he ever does, there's some <laughs> things for me, you know, for years I've been asking the question and I still don't know the answer, but just being willing to still ask and wait mm-hmm. and, um, and listen yeah, I think I think that's for me the best place to start. Whether we do that as individuals, but especially when we're facing these huge systemic issues that can, and we'll talk about this in a, in another session. But you know, just the idea that um, it t- it does take a really long time to solve these problems. What, fill in the blank to whatever the problem is, whether it's you know, the fact that we're still, um, you know, mostly segregated society on Sundays um, or, you know, <laughs> I don't want to go down the laundry list because we'd be here all night, but there are a lot of systemic issues that we need to solve. Um, and in order to be the people of people sent to be the ones to solve them, pausing and even being willing to ask the question plants that seed and the Holy Spirit then germinates that seed. And sometimes I think, you know, maybe the, the, the questions you're still waiting on being answered won't be answered for several generations, but we know that the answer is yes and amen. So I'm going to close this out uh, by just reading the, the conclusion of this interaction of Jesus and the, the man born blind, because <clears throat> I think it puts the fine point on on our takeaway, our application of, of this idea of looking and understanding our own biases so we can better engage with others. So it says, some of the Jewish leaders were enraged and said, just who do you think you are to lecture us? You were born a blind, filthy sinner. So they threw the man out on the street. When Jesus learned they had thrown him out, he went to find him. And said to him, do you believe in the son of God? The man whose blind eyes were healed answered, who is he master? Tell me so that I can place all my faith in him. Jesus replied, you're looking right at him. He's speaking with you. It's me. I'm the one in the front. I'm the one, the one in front of you now. Then the man threw himself at his feet and worshiped Jesus and said, Lord, I believe in you. And Jesus said, I have come to judge those who think they see and make them blind. And for those who are blind, I have come to make them see. Some of the Pharisees were standing nearby and overheard these words. They interrupted Jesus and said, you mean to tell us that we're blind? Jesus told them, if you would acknowledge your blindness, then your skin would, your sin would be removed. But now that you claim to see your sin remains with you. So that kind of puts a fine point on it. We can, we can go back. We can go back the comfortable old way or we can press forward into this unknowing and this uncertainty and, and really meet Jesus there. It sounds like a, a pie in the sky dream, but you know, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. So 
I, I kind of feel like we're the answer. We're Amen. The, so let's talk about takeaways. I, I think Jesus wants us to see him for who he really is. Like I said, he's, he is the answer um, for, for what we face and it's us together in him. Um, biases, biases inhibit us from fully experiencing the life Jesus came to give and how we were always intended to live from the very beginning. We were never meant to be blind. So with Jesus, we have the potential for our eyes to be opened to the way that the world should work. And so I think this is an incredibly hope-filled promise. And, and we keep saying it, <laughs> it takes a lot of work to get there. It may take generations to get there, really, honestly, is as we reform and reframe our thoughts and teach others to do the same, that's going to have an effect down the line. So what, we, what, what are you taking away from this conversation, Tawana? The, the thing that I was thinking about when you were reading that last portion and also talking about takeaways take is the last few years have really provided an opportunity for us to um, see a significant shift in our lenses, right? So between pandemic and politics, I think it's an invitation for us to re-examine a lot of things that we thought were the truth or normal or the way it should be or the way we should live. And um, I'm really appreciative of the opportunity. It's gonna be hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but I hope to see, um, especially us as the body of Christ, to um, see it as an opportunity for us to really um, see Jesus differently and see um, see His people differently. Yeah, yeah. As uh, as Maya Angelou says, said, yeah. When you know better, you do better. And yes. We just we have to know so we can do better. So. And, and I think that's a, that's a great point to end on because the idea of this class, the idea of these resources, <clears throat> excuse me, help us better understand ourselves. And if we're going to apply our faith in this world, we have to know ourselves because it will help give us eyes to see other people rightly and, and well. So I think that's about it for tonight. Tawana, thank you so much for your continued wisdom. Thanks again for having me. Uh, yeah, I think I've got you for one more week before we, we have a break. And and I think we have a couple other guests because I know y'all don't want to just hear from me. I mean, I, I'm wonderful <laughs> and all, but, <laughs> but I appreciate y'all being here. Thank y'all. I know not everybody got an opportunity. So if you have any, uh, any other reflections you want to share, please email me. And I think everybody on here knows my email address, but it's avogel at urheights.com. So um, just receive this blessing as we go forward tonight. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you so that you can lift your eyes as well, your open eyes to be able to see who you are, who others are, but most importantly, who Jesus is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank y'all so much. It's been a joy and we'll see you next week. <laughs>